Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of Under the Covers with Eve. It is Friday, September 23rd, 2016. Wow, I can't believe how fast time is going by. I hope you're enjoying the weather wherever you are. It's been really nice here, so I'm very happy about that. <laughs> okay, so um, before I begin, I'm not going to tell you what, what this week's is about, really, although the title probably gave it away, but never mind. Let me see if I can figure out some of the thoughts that go through your mind from time to time. You look at yourself and what you have, or more likely what you don't have, and you think, what's wrong with me? You don't have a great career. You don't have a home of your own. Maybe you don't have a relationship. You, you look around you at other people your age, or worse, people who are younger than you are, and you think to yourself, what is wrong with me? Why aren't I as successful as that guy? Why haven't I achieved all of these milestone things by now? You look at your peers, the people that are in your demographic, you know, your age and your socioeconomic group, your neighborhood, that kind of thing. And you think, what, was, was I holding the door when the line formed for the success in life handout, you know? And very likely you will turn this dissatisfaction inward, thinking that you must be doing something wrong or that you must be flawed in some way. This kind of thing is, is bad enough. But when you consider that now, thanks to our interconnectivity and our complete love affair with social media, we are now more than ever aware of what other people are doing or achieving. We can't avoid knowing about it when some teenager sells his online business to Bill Gates for you know, a few million bucks before he even finishes high school. You know, We hear about it when some 16-year-old girl invents a new heart valve that all the top surgeons <laughs> start using. And whenever there's some Dookie Hauser type 11-year-old guy acing MIT or some four-year-old violin virtuoso, you know, we hear about that too. And it makes the rest of us feel like factory seconds, doesn't it? You know, we think I'm X years old and I don't even have a job. I didn't even know the heart had valves, <laughs> you know, never mind being able to invent a new one. And I would not last two seconds at MIT. It doesn't even have to be that dramatic, either. Sometimes the worst feelings come from watching our peers pair up and start getting married or having kids. They seem to have very little trouble growing up, in other words. And some people, I mean, some people are like way ahead of the game, even in high school. I think everybody knows, like the super couple of the school, that even at 15 or 16, like, they, you know these two are going to get married and start some killer business and climb Mount Everest and have triplets and make the cover of time, have a perfect life. You just know it because they already seem charmed and all put together and grown up while you're still a gangly teenager battling zits and, and hormones. So believe me, if you're feeling this kind of, why am I so far behind? You're not alone. If you look around your sphere and think, Everyone else is so much more mature, so much more together, so much smarter and more focused and more successful than I am. Well, you're not alone, and I want to give you some things to think about. Things that will hopefully put this into some perspective for you. First of all, I think it's worth recognizing that comparing yourself to other people 
is very likely the worst thing you can do in terms of building self-esteem and developing your sense of self. But it is a natural thing for us to want to do. We are compared to others from the moment we're born. We're measured and weighed and given all sorts of tests that compare us to normal values for babies. Our early life is really just a series of measurements and <laughs> scales and progress charts for everything from our growth to our mental development. And when we get to school, it comes into sharper focus. We are run through an education system that lumps all kids of the same age into one group and sort of churns them through it relentlessly, making sure that we pass certain benchmarks at certain ages. If we don't measure up, if we don't get swept along with everyone else in our age group, we get kept behind, quote, you know, or are considered special needs, and we're taken out of that group and isolated along with others who don't measure up. So we become so used to comparing ourselves to others in every possible way that by the time we reach adulthood, we are almost nothing but mirrors for the people around us. We just reflect back on them. We copy them, we try to fit in, and we try to keep up. And almost always this leads to real problems. It can cause body image issues because we believe that everyone should look the same. And if our bodies are at all different from the majority of those we see around us, then there must be something wrong with ours, right? This can cause depression and anxiety if we don't uh, follow the script, for example, if we aren't heterosexual, as just one example. And, and it can cause self-esteem issues if we don't achieve the milestones that others around us have achieved. We feel like failures, which sadly, is often compounded by our parents and families and friends sometimes who pressure us to fit in and achieve and do well so that we reflect well on them. Think of all the proud parents out there who want their kids to be doctors and engineers and brag about these achievements to their friends. The same parents who disapprove and express disappointment if we don't get the high grades or if we come out of the closet or if we don't achieve what they think we should achieve. The point is, all of these problems are caused by making comparisons. Now, comparisons are fine when you're shopping for a car or deciding what college to attend. These are straightforward and easy, and they actually help us make decisions. Comparisons are great for helping us decide between options, but that's really the only value comparisons have. Think about it. What is the purpose of comparing two or more things in assigning a a value judgment to them in deciding which one is better or right or proper. It's only so that you can make a decision regarding these things, so you can decide which thing to buy or which school to attend or which color to paint your room. But comparing people, I mean, is that even possible, really? And if it were, is there any real purpose to it? I don't think so. I mean, the only time you could be justified in comparing people would be for some purpose like an election or hiring someone for a job or um, possibly if you're in the uncomfortable position of having to choose between rival lovers or something. But even then, what you're doing is actually comparing specific qualities of those people, not the people themselves. You're not deciding that candidate X is a better person than candidate Y 
Although, if you're following the, um, the Clinton-Trump fight for the White House, you might think otherwise. Um, you're not saying that if you hire person A for the job that you have open, that you think person B is a terrible human being. Or if you do finally choose one lover over another, um, the, you're not saying that the one that you've not chosen is completely worthless. All you're doing is comparing specific qualities or characteristics for a very specific and usually limited purpose. And yet, <laughs> most of us spend our lives comparing ourselves to everyone else in every possible way, and we let the conclusions that we come to determine our self-worth. We feel utterly worthless as human beings. Our whole lives can feel meaningless and without value if we don't measure up in every possible area to all the random people around us. And this is just so harmful. I, I really think this is so harmful and so wrong. And it's unfair, too, because no two human beings can be compared across the board. We are too unique. We're just too individual to ever be accurately compared to even one other person, let alone every other person. Your life experience is so unique to you. Even if you have a twin sibling, having been born at the same time with the same DNA in the case of identical twins, and raised in the same house by the same parents, the two of you will be different people. It's just, that's just the way it is. Life will shape you in different ways. Your character will develop independently from each other. Different talents and abilities and attitudes will emerge. This is the beauty of the human being. We are so complex. I mean, we're so similar in so many ways, with such a wealth of common experience, but yet we are so beautifully unique as to be utterly unreproducible. Even in the vastness of the universe, there is and never will be another being like each one of us. So if you could just do this one thing, Stop comparing yourself to other unique individuals. I can promise you, most of your malaise about your current situation would just disappear. But I also know this is very difficult to do for most of us. We're just too used to doing it. And in some ways, it's comforting to us to have benchmarks and standards to strive for. I understand that. I understand the allure of feeling normal from time to time. Of feeling like... You fit in. So if you can't help comparing yourself to someone or to a group of people, I want you to consider comparing yourself to the loose assortment of people I'm going to talk about now. The late bloomers. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> You've likely heard of these people before. The metaphor, of course, refers to flowers, those that bloom later in the season instead of in the early spring. Late bloomers in the human world are typically people who achieve success later in life or after many failed attempts and false starts. The defining characteristic of late bloomers is usually age. These are the people whose life truly seems to begin at 40 or later. And they are everywhere. They are literally all around you. I could give you thousands of examples, but certainly some of the most notable are people like the painter Grandma Moses, who didn't begin painting until her 70s. Colonel Sanders, you know him, Kentucky Fried Chicken, KFC. He didn't open his first franchise until his 60s. His first one, he didn't even like, 
Anyway, you get it. The hockey player, Tim Thomas, who only made it to the NHL at 28, <laughs> but won the Conn Smythe Trophy at 37. In many cases, these people did a variety of different things before they found their thing, their passion, the talent or ability, or simply the thing that they loved doing. Now, many of these people will tell you that their youth was essentially a series of missteps, false starts, failures, sometimes even aimlessness, homelessness, or worse. Some people drift for decades before finding that one thing that they love and going for it. Some people don't start running marathons until they're in their 80s. The point is, they found their groove. They found their bliss. They achieved great things. They just didn't do it when they were 20. Which leads me to another point that I think is worth bringing up. If you're a young person today, a millennial, as they say, which is that very loose grouping of people that were born, well, depending on which source you use, anywhere between 1979 and, and 2000, then it's my opinion that the expectations of success based on age that you might be hearing are completely unrealistic. It's not uncommon to hear people of previous generations say things like, well, when discussing millennials, they say things like, when I was your age, I had a good job and a wife and two kids. I had a house. I had responsibilities. Why can't you do that? To which the answer, I think, should be a resounding, I wish I could. I only wish I could have what you had at my age. But I simply can't. The world has changed dramatically in the last 50 years. And I don't mean in the typical way that the world changes from generation to generation. I mean, we have gone through a seismic shift in the way we live. Our world is almost unrecognizable to people of only a few generations ago. And the same things that were true for previous generations are simply no longer possible to this one. The average life expectancy for an American male in the year 1900, guess what it was? 46. 46. That's as long as you could expect to live in 1900. So no wonder everyone got married at 16. You were a third of the way through your life at 16. You had to get out there. You had to start living. But let's take a more recent example. In 1970, the average price of a home in the U.S. was $23,000. So a family of four could own a home in the suburbs and meet their bills, usually on one income, usually the father. He went out to work, mom stayed home and raised the kids. They didn't have that much debt. Interest rates were sufficient that they could afford their mortgages, but their savings actually grew and outstripped inflation, which is key. In those days too, a good job had a certain amount of security room for advancement, a pension plan, health benefits, and people could reasonably expect to be in that job or a similar one for their entire careers. We all know older people who worked somewhere for 30 or 40 years before retiring on a healthy pension with their full health benefits intact and their house paid off. But let's take 2011. As an example, the average house in the U.S. cost $240,000, so more than 10 times what it did in 1970. 
And a mortgage of that size required two adults working full-time just to meet the bills, which also led to issues of childcare, which is so expensive in many cases, it's cheaper for one parent to not work and stay home instead, but they can't afford one parent to stay home either. And keep in mind, this was 2011. Most countries have gone through a real estate bubble with prices still nowhere near affordable for the average young couple just starting out. The average price of a modest detached home in Toronto, for example, is now over a million dollars. And good jobs are, you know, increasingly a thing of the past. Never mind working for a company for 40 years. Now it's likely that your job is an unpaid internship or it's a temporary one-year contract or some other form of unstable, just temporary arrangement that you have to take if you're lucky enough to get it. Pensions are drying up. We're warned daily that our government pensions will be bankrupt by the time we retire. And more and more jobs don't offer health benefits because they consider their employees contract workers. And at a million bucks, you're not likely to pay off your house either. And keep in mind, too, that today's middle-aged people, the kids that were raised by those 1970 parents, are becoming what they call the sandwich generation. They're stuck in the middle between caring for elderly parents who need financial and health-related support and their millennial offspring who can't launch into the world and still need financial support from their parents. Anyway, there are lots of ways to crunch these numbers. But basically, if you base the comparison of these two years solely on a minimum wage earner in 1970 and a minimum wage earner now, the cost of groceries has gone up by 30% and the cost of housing and education has tripled. So while you could potentially afford to live on minimum wage in 1970, you simply can't now, even adjusting for inflation. And this isn't taking into account that the father in the 1970 scenario was likely able to get a job with only a high school education or an affordable college degree. In 1973, 72% of workers in the US were either only high school graduates or had actually dropped out. And for those who went to college, it was a lot more affordable then too. In 1970, one year of tuition at a public university in the US cost on average $1,200. So working at a minimum wage job then, which was $1.60 an hour in 1970, you could cover your tuition by working 755 hours per year, or roughly 14 hours a week. If you worked full time in the summer, too, that was even less. This is assuming, of course, that you lived at home, you paid no taxes, you had few other expenses, but it does illustrate the point, because in 2010, the average cost of one year of tuition at a public university was $11,000. Working at a minimum wage job in 2010 at $7.25 an hour, guess how many hours a year you'd have to work to pay for that? 1,823 hours, or about 35 hours a week. In other words, nowadays you simply can't work your way through college, even if you live at home. You can't work full-time and go to school full-time. There just aren't enough hours in the day. So, most young people find themselves burdened with debt just to get a degree that they increasingly need to have in order to compete for scarce and unstable short-term jobs <laughs> in cities where the cost of a house is completely out of reach. 
Wow. <laughs> you still with me? I know this is really depressing. <laughs> um, some people have suggested that a young person should work full time and do night school or spend years getting their degree part time instead of borrowing heavily to go to school. Again, this is something the previous generation did not have to do. So this is true. I mean, you could do it this way and not accrue a huge debt if you could get a full-time job. But this doesn't come without costs of another kind. It means that you push back starting your adult life even more if you choose this route. Ask your parents or grandparents, for example, if they would have been okay with not even moving out of their parents' house until they were 35 in order to simply get a high school diploma, for example, which was their equivalent of the, the credential needed to get a good job. Or if they would have wanted to wait until their late 30s or 40s to start looking for a serious relationship or start saving for a house, not out of choice, but out of necessity. Then maybe they'll understand why many young people feel that in a competitive world, the sooner they get that degree and get out there, the better. And having worked at McDonald's while you went through school will not help you get a good job once you graduate either. These days you're kind of expected to have internship and volunteer experience and pad your resume with academic and career-related activities. Flipping burgers for four years while you went to school isn't going to stand up against someone you know, interned at the UN or whatever, you know? In short, we are living in completely different economic times. Again, comparisons, see? They're never a good idea. You cannot compare yourself to people of a previous generation. It is not the same world. Now, this isn't to say that there aren't vastly more opportunities for young people than there were before, because there certainly are. That is one huge advantage that young people have today. The advent of the internet has opened up global possibilities to young people, and micro-entrepreneurship is more and more a viable option for young people to succeed. So don't think that it's all doom and gloom. It really isn't. If you're under 30, you have great potential to make more money than your parents did, to live anywhere you want in the world, to have a more flexible schedule, and to be more selective in what you choose to spend your time on. So it isn't all bad at all. And in many ways, it's very, very good. The only proviso, possibly, is that Living in this brave new world means you might have to throw out a lot of the expectations about achieving things by a certain age or in a certain way. It means, for instance, that you might not get your degree until your 30s or later. It means that for economic reasons, you may have to live at home much longer than you or your parents would like. A changing world with changing values means you likely won't get married at 21 like your parents and grandparents did. In fact, you may never get married or have children. You may not find a suitable partner in your teens the way they did. You may not have sex until your 30s, 40s, or 50s. Don't let any of this depress you. These are just the new realities, and they are becoming more and more the norm. When you do achieve these things, you will appreciate them all the more, and the decisions you make won't have the ability to affect the entire course of your life <laughs> the way they, they would have before. I mean, can you imagine what it was like when, say, you know, having careless sex at 16 with whoever would do it with you could end up in a pregnancy and a lifetime marriage? I mean, this doesn't, doesn't happen anymore. In many ways, being older when you have that first relationship or marriage or a child can be a blessing. You are mature enough 
to just let it be a part of your life, even if it doesn't go so well. It will not define the course of your entire life. If you're a late bloomer, or even just sense that you are, consider that this may end up being the best possible outcome for your life, better than you could have ever imagined. Consider that with age and maturity come wisdom, and that in spite of the four-year-old virtuosos and the 16-year-old heart valve inventors, you know, I mean, they're amazing, and they should be praised for what they've achieved, certainly, but the world still values age, wisdom, and maturity. You can't even run for the U.S. presidency until you're 35. It's as if it's just a given that no one under 35 is mature enough to take on such an important role. And right now, the two people running for president are twice that age. And that's okay with everyone. And while movie stars and celebrities aren't usually considered the best examples of people to look up to, it's undeniable that the majority of our truly, you know, A-list, top-tier, world-famous people, they're all over 40. And many of them, including the women, are nearing 50. Halle Berry and Salma Hayek are 50. Liz Hurley is 51. Madonna's nearly 60. George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise, they're all over 50. And even The Rock, The Rock, you know, he's 44. And so is Sofia Vergara. <laughs> so, you know, just consider that for a minute. Late bloomers also get the advantage of learning about themselves before they make commitments to a life or even a persona that is just not them. Late bloomers get to have real, lasting relationships instead of meaningless and sometimes heartbreaking flings, you know. Late bloomers get to study something they truly love at school. They can make a career for themselves that they find fulfilling and satisfying. And perhaps best of all, like I said, late bloomers know how to appreciate what they achieve. The difference between becoming a millionaire at 50 after many years of struggling through poverty and being a trust fund kid who grew up with millions or a teenager who made it big in a boy band, you know, it's almost incalculable. The late bloomer usually has the wisdom and experience to appreciate his or her newfound wealth. They'll do things with it and they'll live well. The young kid with too much too soon lets it flitter away or or worse, sometimes develop some serious character flaws that come from having too much before they were ready to deal with it. For men also, please don't forget, a lot of women are actively looking for someone older than they are. Girls tend to mature faster than boys. And many young women these days would rather go out with a guy who's a few years older, no matter what his circumstances. They value the guy's maturity more than anything else. And as long as he's working towards something or wants to achieve something in his life, you know, he could be finishing a degree or practicing his art or developing a game or working at a job he loves or whatever, it really doesn't matter. The fact that he wants to pursue some value in his life is what makes a difference. So in those cases, it quite often doesn't matter if he lives at home or if he doesn't have much yet. The key is whether he wants to improve his life. Maybe he isn't even sure yet what direction that will go in. But as long as he has the desire to do something with his life, quite often that is what a lot of young women want in a partner. Now, I'm not advocating or condoning a completely directionless life. And I'm not saying that someone should be given free reign to just find themselves, you know, if all they want to do is live off others and 
basically do nothing for years on end. That's not what I'm saying. This isn't about justifying laziness or excusing bad attitudes or habits, nothing like that. But I think we often go way too far the other way, criticizing too harshly and condemning too quickly those of us who didn't hit the ground running, as they say. There may be other people our age who move through their lives steadily and assuredly and achieve certain benchmarks exactly when everyone thinks they should, but that just isn't realistic for everyone. And we should not have this all-or-nothing view of success, you know, this top 30 under 30 type of view for everyone. I mean, yeah, some people knew they wanted to be surgeon when they were six and they worked at it relentlessly and great but if you weren't like this maybe you tried a few different majors or jobs just weren't sure what you want to do with your life you know you should not feel less than because of this sometimes a wildly successful you know headline grabbing person under 30 um, is an exceptional person with great drive and talent and determination and it's it's great to praise them for these things but just as often, someone like this also benefited greatly from being in the right place at the right time. Or quite often having indulgent, wealthy parents, you know, things like that, <laughs> who supported them and indulged them from the beginning. So the next time you compare yourself to someone who was supported by their parents, had their college paid for by them, was given cars or homes to help them on their way, that sort of thing, well, just keep it in mind, is all I'm saying. If your family couldn't or wouldn't help launch you into this very demanding and difficult world, then it isn't fair to compare yourself unfavorably to someone who had that advantage. If you didn't happen to be an excellent app developer at 15, <laughs> you know, or you couldn't create a new game or social media site that just spread like wildfire for the 15 minutes that it was popular, well, you know, again, right time, right place. Don't count yourself out because you weren't blessed with exceptional luck. And one last thing about late bloomers. I've spoken a lot about hyper-successful late bloomers, people who achieved significant things in their later years. And I don't want you to think that the only success in life is measured in one's net worth or fame or marriage, family, things like that, because it isn't. For some late bloomers, the real success is in finally understanding that in spite of societal or family expectations, not everyone has to split the atom, you know? Not everyone has to become a millionaire or get married and have kids. Not everyone has to achieve greatness in the eyes of others. Sometimes just finally coming to an understanding of who you are, you know, Maybe it's finally accepting your sexual orientation. Maybe it's finally realizing that you don't want to work at a conventional job, but you want to be a forest ranger. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just finally saying, this is me. This is what I like. This is what comforts me, what inspires me, what makes me happy. And to hell with what anyone thinks about it. Because these are measures of success too. And some people would say the more important ones. These are the benchmarks of a well-lived life. So if wealth or high achievement motivates you, great. Go forward and bravely live your dreams. But if simply becoming a wise, content person who lives a fulfilling life is your goal, then that's success too. And if it takes you a few years 
or a few decades to get there, then so be it. Remember that the bloom, <laughs> get all metaphorical here for a minute, very poetic, cue the music, the bloom, <laughs> the flower, is just one part of the whole plant. You know, the plant had to be there, the plant had to grow, the plant has the, has the real value. The bloom is just one part. So if that's not too hippy-dippy, then <laughs> please remember, if you take one thing away from this episode, let it be this. Don't compare yourself to anyone else and let your unique life unfold on your own timeline. No one else's. There's really nothing wrong with being a late bloomer. In fact, I think it's the ideal. So that's it for this episode. Hope I've given you some things to think about. Join me again next time. I don't know what I'm going to talk about yet, but... <laughs> oh, I do, actually. I'm lying. I do. The next one I'm going to talk about is the male gaze. You've probably heard about this. You might want to Google it if you haven't. I'm going to discuss all you guys who like to look at women. <laughs> so that's it for now. Stay warm, stay cozy, and I'll talk to you again. Bye-bye.